Trevor Gleason, it's always a pleasure to have some time with you. And we're going to be spending a fair bit of time together over the next month watching these boomers at the FIBA World Cup. So let's start there. Trevor Gleason, World Cup broadcaster. Was that always on the cards? Yeah, look, I'm really excited. I got the phone call, uh, you know, earlier this year to see if I was interested. And uh, it's always something that I've uh, had in the back of my mind, but never really had the opportunity because I've been coaching um all the way through so yeah really uh looking forward to the opportunity to uh be an analyst yeah we've had a couple of calls and i think it's going to be i know i'm personally excited because you've you've been right in the thick of it and uh i think it's going to be great insight for the fans at home but you mentioned the the coaching stuff and before we're, we're going to dive into the boomers and they're in camp right now and we're going to break down a a few of the the main topics that we're looking at or storylines coming out of the camp leading into the world cup uh just for you personally, a couple of years with the Toronto Raptors, and it's been fun. It's been fun to see you in the sidelines. I imagine that the nonstop grind of the NBA takes some time getting used to, but how do you look at the last two years for you personally? Yeah, look, I loved it. Absolutely loved it and had that opportunity with Toronto and, and you know, seeing these guys up close, you, you just realise how tall, athletic, strong and how good they are. And, um, you know, I had a... Two great years. Unfortunately, Coach Nurse got fired, and when he uh, got fired, they cleaned out the rest of the coaches. And uh, luckily, I was under contract still, so uh, gives me a little bit of time to sit back now and um, see what the next step's going. It was a wild off season in terms of NBA coaches, and I guess this is the other side of the NBA, the business side, and it can get pretty hectic. But it wasn't just Nick Nurse, and there was a bunch of really experienced coaches. So. Yeah. Are you what? What is that period like for you as you're trying to figure out? Because not only Nick Nurse, Adrian Griffin, one of the lead assistants, he goes and now has the head uh, role there in in Milwaukee. So is it just total and complete limbo for you as you wait and see where all the cards fall? Yeah, it was. Uh, look, I I talked to about three or four different teams, um, and it's really the role that they're looking at and who's uh, available on their staff and who do they have to have contract in there. So. Yeah, I was close with AG and I was so happy he got the Milwaukee job and hopefully we'll get a chance to work together down the track. And, um, you know, there was another couple of big coaches that rolled it with, uh, you know, Frank Vogel going to mm. to Phoenix and then, um, you know, so some Doc Rivers gone at, at 76. Mm. So there was a lot of change happening in the off-season. And, and you're right, it is a business and uh, sometimes that's just timing and being available at the right time. Well, it's our game for the World Cup. I'll say that selfishly. But you have been with the Boomers for a, a couple of major tournaments as well, going back to the World Cup and then the Olympics uh, going back a few years ago now. What what do you look back on the challenges of short preparation, mm. major tournament, big expectation, guys coming in from all over the world? How do you view that challenge uh, of that coaching scenario? Yeah, it's really the management uh, that you have to do with the players and different agendas and different people coming in at different times. We had the World Cup in Spain uh, 2014, and that's the one that Paddy missed. Uh, but then he was back and played brilliantly at the Rio Olympics. And so we finished seventh, I believe, at the World Championships in Spain. And, and then we had the bronze medal game and and lost to Spain by a point in, in Rio. So, yeah, the management of, of the athletes, it's certainly good for me to have that two years experience of the NBA because I can see how <laughs> grinding the schedule is and 
sometimes when you're over here in Australia, you're just playing on the weekends. You don't really understand the travel demands, the physicality. It really is. It was. It took me a while to understand 82 games. You know, that's four and a half games a week. And then you got travel thrown in. Sure, it's in a private jet, but it's still getting in at three o'clock in the morning. And then you're getting up the next day to, to work out and work your profession. So um, understanding that, especially with so many MBI guys now on our boomers list, uh, is something you've got to navigate and something that you've got to have a plan for that they're peaking at the right time. So we've clearly been fortunate, I say we, in, in Australia with those MBA guys. And you already mentioned the numbers are continuing to grow in terms of uh, players that are in the league and are going to be available for the boomers. Given that you've lived it for the last two years and you have the the inside knowledge of what these guys go through, how do you put into context how fortunate uh, these uh, Australian fans are that these guys always put their hand up? And that's not the case. And I think also it gives some perspective that when there are some guys that, hey, I can't play in this off-season tournament, you have to understand what they've been going through over the previous six months. Yeah, without a question. And it's really the hats off to this core boomers, uh, you know, with Joe, with Patty, with Dally, that they've they've built that culture all the way through. And a lot of credit's got to go to Andre Lamanis that that set that thing in motion way back in um, 2013 when he took over. There was a lot of core group and a lot of commitment that the players made to each other that they were going to, if they're available, they're going to play and they're not going to be like the USA. I'm in for the Olympics, but I'm out for the world championships. These, these players actually have a passion to play for Australia and to do something that they've never done before. And, and obviously win the the bronze at the last Olympics and, and hopefully go one step or two steps further to get gold. And it's a real credit to that core of the boomers. And now they're dragging the young fellas along, into that with the Giddy and the Daniels and, you know, the Gouldings and the Josh Green. Um, they're bringing them into that culture that hopefully that maintains while the older players, you know, might be only having one more, two more professional um, off-seasons with the Boomers. So with that lead-up time, how beneficial is it? And I was asked this question based on the fact that I was at Hoop City last week and you've got a bunch of the Boomers guys there. They're getting up and down, playing five on five. Uh, now they have a 10-day camp. They're in the middle of that right now as we record this. And then they've got some legit exhibition games that are going to be in in Melbourne. And the preparation isn't always this long or they don't have the opportunity to have this much time. In, in your experience, how beneficial is that going to be for this group with some of the new faces you mentioned? Yeah, it's really just to reconnect, you know, after Estella... Um, Olympics, Japan Olympics are winning that that bronze and really, you know, you got your call back. I think there's 10 players out of that list in, into the group of 18 and it's really reconnecting, see where we are. And the players these days are so professional that they're already in shape, you know, and it's great to see them getting together to get, you know, sharp and add the skills and now it's getting that chemistry and there'll be a lot of off-court activity as well, building that bond and the trust and and having a plan and ready to go. And, um, you know, it's a lot easier these days just the how the players look after themselves. You know that the players are going to come in shape. You know that they've been in the gym or in the lab doing their work and getting prepared for this cap before the actual camp starts. And 
that's the professionalism that they're bringing to the table. So I'm glad I've got this time with you, Trev, because I've been saying this and I run through in my own mind who I think could be in the 12 and mm. what are some of the talking points about this squad. And I say this to anyone that asks, I say, you can sit there and you can make a point about one player and that might not have been what I'm thinking. And I'm like, you know what, that's a pretty good point. I agree with you. Like, there's so many different ways that this uh, team can be can be made and they can fill out the, the final 12. So with the 10 NBA guys, that only leaves two extra spots if they go down the route of every NBA player being there. So then they are now faced with the challenge of picking a team that fits basketball-wise and then some big names. Uh, how challenging is that understanding the FIBA game and trying to work out the different scenarios you might, might need to prepare for? Yeah, look, this is a tough decision. I don't envy Brian and the coaching <laughs> staff at all with this. It's a, it's one of the hardest, and I've been through that with the World Cup and the Olympics, and it's one of the hardest things to cut a player that their dream is to play, you know, for the Boomers in the Olympics, and it's, it's ecstatic just to see their reaction you know, the grown man cry just to making the team. And there's a lot of passion involved in that, but that's when you got to take a step back and what's your core look like? What's going to support that? So you got your top six, seven, eight players in your rotation, and then you'll need some specialised players, which is different in FIBA because you're playing every second day. You might need a specialised defender to go out there and shut down uh, um, Luca you know, for a certain period of time. You might need a specialised three-point shooter that's not a very good defender, but you need to break open the zone. And that's the um, that's the difference with the FIBA than picking your own NBL side, NBA side, that you've got to have come up with these elements that you had those tools in the box for that game, not for the season, for that game. Like a shooter's going to get you over the line one day if he hits five threes. And you know, one of our shooters and Patty might be cold that day. You need that support. So um, those are the things that you're truly trying to get in your toolbox. So when you're coaching the game, you can push the button and bang, you got a replacement there. So given that we know all that in terms of the, the names that are going to be fighting and again, even if, and, and all these guys in the squad, whether they've come off overseas seasons or with the NBL, They've had big campaigns. That's why they're there. And they've also performed in the World Cup qualification. But you have mm. the 10 NBA guys. That doesn't include Dwight Wreath, who was on the bronze medal team. Daly, who's obviously a legend of the game in this country. Chris Golding. Nick Kay, who's been such a rock for the for the Boomers team. So you obviously know very well, Trev. So uh, I, it's going to be a challenge. And you've been in there before. And we hear the stories. And, and I've seen little glimpses of it. But what are you picturing in your minds about this training camp about how fierce and competitive this is going to be uh, when there are so many guys that are, are going to miss out on that dream. Yeah, it certainly is going to be a fierce camp, and especially in the guards position. There's an overload of guards. Um, and, you know, you got you got Josh Giddy coming back in but didn't play in the Olympics, so he, <laughs> he wasn't in there. And he's just improved out of sight the last two years. And, you know, Dally's been there for, for 10 years, for four campaigns, I believe, and... Dante had a brilliant season over in Europe and, and picked up in in um, with Dallas. And then you got uh, the young Bendigo kid, Dyson Daniels, that is, just keeps on proving and proving and, and so quick and dynamic on the court. So there is a lot of competition in the guard spot, probably a little bit lean on the big, but they're going to need help 
with that. You know, they've got Nick and Landell played brilliantly in the playoffs for Phoenix and, um, you know, has matured and maturated the last two years in the NBA and knows how to play against those bigger bodies and use angles. And But you're going to have to have another couple of big bodies just in case he gets in foul trouble or picks up three in the first half. What avenue do you go? And um, that that's going to be up to the coaches. But the players, you know, they're not going to sit back and cruise through this. They've actually got to make the team. And um, that's going to be highly competitive. And I like to be a fly in the wall at training camp. Okay, so I'm going to go through a few of the questions I've got here. And you just hinted on one of them. So if we go back to Tokyo and we look at the squad that they took, uh, Landau there, he's become a fixture over the last couple of major tournaments. Uh, Aaron Baines was in the, the final squad for Tokyo and obviously played the early games. And then Dwight Reith, who we already mentioned. So if you look at the centers in the squad now, Landau will say he's a lock. You've got Dwight Reith, Thon Maker, Sam Froling's there, uh, Keanu Pinder in, in that squad as well. So it sounds like you're saying, because this has been one of the talking points, you just have to take a, a true backup five, at least one, right? Yeah, I, I believe you do. Yeah, it's too many variables. And, you know, you, you also remember Nick Kay, he was our leading mm-hmm. rebounder in uh, Japan, uh, especially when uh, Baines went down. I think um, Aaron only played two games, the first two games, and got that injury. So that that's a, that's a key. Uh, obviously, we're versatile with the, the team and how we're playing, and you can move Ingles to the small four, but you're still going to have to have a big body in there. Now, that's – I'd really like to see how Sam Froling's developed. Um, you know, you got Thorne who's got that NBA experience and, and been playing overseas. Um, you know, even Jack White is like – he's a physical body. You're going to have to need a physical body there. Um, to bang and hold position and not get pushed under the basket. The, the rebounding is a is a war down there. So, yeah, it's certainly going to, uh, I believe, you're going to have four, you know, back in the old day, you used to have five bigs, mandatory to have mm-hmm. five bigs. It was a lot more powerful game back then. But now I think you need four quality bigs uh, in that squad of 12. Yeah, so Nick Kay obviously and. Based on, look, we listened to Brian Gorge and we've heard his love for Nick Kay for good reason because he's been such an important player. But Nick Kay is sort of a 4-5. Xavier Cook's another guy that's in there. Jack White, you mentioned if you really go small, Joe Ingles is there. And then maybe Dewatt Barith, Jock Landau. What do you think about the potential for this team to play small by the traditional sense with one of those guys that maybe is a 6-8 or 6-9 and we've seen Cooks at times play the 5 uh, in the NBL and even in a in a super small sample size with Washington, I think in the preliminary games you, you can throw that out there. But I, if I'm you know playing devil's advocate in the, I'm looking at the finals, the second round. You're going to be playing Slovenia um, in the quarterfinals. It could be Spain, France, um, Canada. You know, you've got so many NBA guys there, and you're going to come across some big bodies, and certainly you can use that element for a couple of minutes to see if it works. But if it doesn't, you've got to have those bigger bodies to, to stop and roll into the basket, and especially like a Gobert rolling down down the lane uh, with, with France if we play those in the quarterfinals. So that's you've got to have one eye on that part of the game, that who, who we play and when we play the US team in the gold medal. You know, we can go small with them, we can match with them, but we might need someone big, just to, um, you know, go and get three fouls, hard fouls and change the course of the game. And 
I, I, I like to have that as a weapon that you can pull off the bench to throw in there. Weakness might be a little bit too strong of a word, but do you look at this squad and is there any area, again, as you have, you project ahead and you look at the potential fixtures that you might have or some of the nations you might come up against, is there any area of this team that gives you some pause? Well, it's probably the perimeter game. You know, you got so many guards, it's a strength with the guards, but they're they're not great knockdown shooters besides Patty and, and um, you know, Bubbles, Chris Golding out there, you know, they're very Dante, Dally, um, and Josh's shot is, is improved out of sight, and even Dyson's shot is, is not great, consistent. That's probably one area that um, would be a concern if, if other teams come back and play into zone and play off and really protect that paint. And, you know, even if box and one on Patty, that, that's limited to, to dry that up. So that's something that um, you look for to make sure we're getting quality shots from people we want to shoot the ball and that's where Joe Ingles comes in so handy that you know can take the pressure off Patty um, and the ball swings to him as a second or third option and be able to drain that three-pointer it certainly lifts a lot of pressure on the shooters if they're not uh, knocking the ball in yeah if we go back to Tokyo so there was three guys that attempted more than three threes a game Joe and Patty which we understand they played big minutes Chris Golding was the other one he only played around 13 minutes a game but you know he's in there to get his shots up and he's going to do that uh, I've been trying to make the case and as I go through again and try and pick my own squad that they for that reason that you're talking about I feel like they need him is it is are you that uh, strong on on Chris Golding with this squad yeah without a question and he's got no question what his role is is to come in and give that scoring punch. And, and it's the same. This is not like that you have a week to build up a game and you can cover it. You're moving on so fast. It's every second day. And a shooter's shoot. You know, they can come in and be hot one day and carry across the line. And um, I think you need that weapon, especially, you know, Patty's going to get a lot of lot of uh, attention that he well and truly deserves. And, you know, Giddy's going to create a lot of shots for Patty Tour by getting in the lane and, and getting the pass out. So if you got Josh making the reads down there and to kick out three, you want to know that you're hitting a Patty, you're hitting Golding, or you're hitting Joe, or even, you know, a Nick, a stretch four out there that can knock that shit shot down. So, um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting, but it's a no-brainer for me to have uh, Chris in the team. Uh, as that specialised shooter and being a microwave off the bench. I know I mentioned that a couple of days ago on SportsCenter and there's, I mean, there is so much debate, which we love with the with the fans out there. But one of the points made that we should at least reference you, you pointed to some of the shooters that have been improving. You know, Dante's been over 40% over the last two seasons in Europe and he shot well at the Olympics, super small sample size, but he seems like that shot's continued to carry on with him. Uh, you mentioned Patty quite a bit and the attention he's going to get. How do you think the addition, and let's let's suggest that we know Kitty's going to be there. I think that's a lock. Let's assume Dyson Daniels is going to be there as well. I think, you know, arguably, you can make the case for both guys, certainly Kitty, but Daniels as well, that they're better with the ball in their hands right now. That's what they've played a lot uh, of in their junior basketball. How do you think the addition of those two NBA caliber 6'8 guys at the point guard with the ball in their hands can impact Patty specifically, who's carried such a huge load. 
I think Paddy be smiling from ear to ear. <laughs> you know, he he's been playing with Dally is you know probably a six foot getting in lane. Dally does a great job finding Paddy. They have a great chemistry on the court together and, and played so many years together. They just know where each other is. They're like Siamese twins out there. They know where <laughs> each other they, and they feed off each other. And that's probably you know in Dally's favor to do that with uh, Josh and Dyson haven't played with Paddy. You know, occasionally played with Paddy, you know, especially not at the international level. So um, it's just really fine in the spots. And uh, Josh and Dyson can get in the lane and can make a pass from anywhere on the floor. And it's understanding where Paddy's sweet spot is, where he likes the ball. Is he going to the right, to the left? Is he going to drive it? Is he following me? And that's all the stuff at training camp that they'll be going through and fine tuning and. But uh, if I'm Patty, I'm I'm happy that I got six eight six nine point guards <laughs> can get past them and create a rotation because uh, when the ball moves, it's going to find the shooters. And uh, let's be honest, in the NBA, he's also made a career of playing off the ball as well. So to your point, I don't think he's going to have any problems with that. He's going to be a serious threat again, as we've come to see uh, over the years. So linking back to your time with Toronto. The Raptors had the most unique lineups mm-hmm. in the league. And I sat down with Dyson Daniels and Xavier Cooks last week and I, I asked X about the fact that you're the same height basically as Dyson. This guy's a point guard. You spend some of your time playing at the five. So it's to me, it feels like the if you're looking at how the, the boomers have, have evolved and have changed even over the course of the last two years, it's all these guys that are NBA size, NBA athleticism, defensively able to to guard some of the best players in the world. Now, Australia has always been known for its defense, but the size demographic has clearly changed over the last two years with these young guys coming in, which to me puts them in a decent spot moving forward. Yeah, and a lot to do with the international game that that it's played, Europe played smaller a lot sooner than the NBA did. And probably the NBA is, clicked on the last four or five years when now they're playing five games at the Raptors. We, we really play position less basketball. Yeah. You know, we had, you know, a uh, unique with Freddie Van Vliet that, uh, you know, very smart. He could play off the ball. And then you had Scotty Barnes could play one to five. He could be a point guard for the first three minutes of the game and then rock over to the, to the center position. But the, the athletes now, in the NBA, that's what they're looking for. Athletes that can can get past their defenders and shooters. And you'll you'll see them a lot standing in the quarter. Now, that doesn't really translate to the FIBA because there's a lot more movement in FIBA and a lot more European cutting, back cuts, ball movements, not so much dominant one person having the ball a lot. Um and that, but that's that's the way the game's gone. You know, that that post game is really not existent so much in the NBA. It's it's facing the basket and creating for each other. And um, international basketball has done that, but they still are a big unit teams, especially, you know, your France's, your Spain that play through the post. I'm not sure how closely you remember this game, but I watched it a couple of days ago just to, to try and refresh my memory of what happened. The game against the USA in Tokyo and the boomers are up 15 in halfway through the second quarter and, there was a few things that happened through the game and the momentum changed significantly. They end up losing by 19, but 
I looked at the USA team and there's Durant and there's Booker and Zach Levine and Jason Tatum and Matisse Thibel did an incredible job. Dante Exum just defended up right throughout the whole sure. tournament. But you add Dyson Daniels. Josh Green didn't have a bigger role. He's been more prominent in the NBA over the last couple of years than Jack White, Xavier Cooks. It does feel, even if on paper, maybe you could say it's a more diminished Team USA squad, but it feels like the Boomers from the, again, that defensive size really more than anything, they they are better equipped not to just have that size overwhelm them over the course of 40 minutes. Yeah, and that's, when you were talking about the US, I thought you were going to go back to the... um... The Rio game that I was, we were up yeah, again yeah, against yeah. USA in, in the rounds, and it was only uh, Carmelo hit four threes in the fourth yep. quarter to get them over. So we're we're pushing on the heels, you know. I know we won a couple of years ago in Melbourne against the USA team, team mm-hmm. with Tatum there, um, but this is great experience. It's the poise of of being up double digits against a USA team. So that fear factor has well and truly gone. It's it's the belief that. Um, you know, the boomers can play at that high level and play against quality opposition and being dynamic with the team that you can, can play small, which you'll need to against the USA team. They might play a little bit more power game with, with Steve Kerr, now the coach, when he plays out of the post and have some cutters and splice cutters. And um, so that'll be, it's going to be interesting to see how they come together with that. But the confidence of the our boomers team is not scared we can take anybody on we probably had the wheels got a little bit shaky in that second half against the usa team but uh, certainly opportunity was there if that's going to be the case that's a fair way down the track though obviously for the boomers they've got to get out of the group first i don't know how much research you've done we've been talking a little bit i know you've been trying to catch up on the teams but uh, one guy i will ask you about just from your experience is larry marketing because i remember uh, around this time last year, watching Eurobasket, he had a huge tournament for Finland. And you look at it and you say, okay, well, he's been clearly a talent in the NBA through his early career, but hadn't really had that opportunity to be the guy. Utah cleans house. He gets that opportunity. 26 points, eight rebounds, goes absolutely berserk, all-star player. What, what did you see from Larry, whether it was from afar or or up close when you're coaching against Utah? Yeah, look, his last year was exceptional. He he was unbelievable. And against us, he had two great games. He absolutely lit us up. <laughs> um, and it's the same this, to see the European guys. Now, Finland, well, I talked briefly, they, they're not to be slept on. Okay? Mm-hmm. They can all shoot the ball. And that's a mighty weapon to have when you're in a tournament play if two or three guys get hot all of a sudden and – Markenham's going to lead from the front there. So that's that's not a certainly a tick the box and a uh, give me that game. Markenham's a real deal. You know, if he was in a bigger market, he would be a huge. Um, but in the Utah, it's probably a little bit lesser than the New York. He obviously was at Cleveland. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how we combat that height and the skill set that he has. Like, he can shoot from a long, long range and he's rebounding. It's unbelievable. He gets in position. He's got the length. That will cause us some issues. Um, so we better get on to him early with that because he's a stud. Uh, Japan, another team that historically 
uh, can get pretty hot. They're going to shoot a high volume of threes at Germany there as well, just just more broadly, and uh, feel free to get into anything specific. But this group on paper, to me, incredibly challenging and when we saw the draw i thought gee that that is that is going to be a bit of a battle to to get to where we expect this team to be in the knockout stage and especially the home game home home yep. country you know you know it's going to be fanatical out there and uh, i did uh, have uh utah wantanabe in our raptors uh last year and yep. he went to over to the nets and he had a great but he's a flat-out shooter left-hander shooter that can get his eye in pretty quick and uh, as you mentioned, that's that's going to be uh, – hopefully we're in a good position by then. It's a shame that um, – obviously, kid from the Lakers that uh, pulled out. Yeah, Rui, yep. Yeah, Rui didn't uh, make the – well, didn't select to go to the – it would have been a really good combination out there. So, um, yeah, but there's got to be a lot of respect out there because most of these teams have multiple NBA players. And, look, you don't get the NBA being a uh, being a bum. Uh it's going to be a lot of fun, particularly right from the start. There's not going to be any easy games. Before we before we wrap this up, we've touched on a lot of things from the Boomers. I'm not asking you to pick a squad today, Trev, because <laughs> I can't I can't do it myself, so I'm not going to make you do it. Uh, what do we miss? What what else are you looking at uh, from this Boomers team? Is there anything else uh, over the next couple of weeks that you've got your eye on? Yeah, it really is for me just to have a look at the bigs where they are. I think the guards you're going to be loaded in that position with, with uh, Josh and Patty and Dally. If you know, Dally makes it or not, that's, that's a big call to make. And Dante and Daniels, there, there are a lot of guards and they can all pressure, you know, up the floor, 94 feet, which is Brian's teams normally do. And it really comes into that big lock. Uh, I think that's going to be keeping an eye on with, with Nick K with Jock and, you know, who makes that, that is, uh, Jack White step up, is Xavier step up? It's really going to be interesting that position, I believe. I, I I think there's only two positions left open. You know, you take your ten from the last Olympics, and probably Duop is is a questionable in that. So if you slide Giddy into that position, there's your ten, and then you only got two positions for like a <laughs> a Daniels, a White, a Froling, a Xavier, a Thon, or Duop. It's it's. <laughs> It's crazy how competitive that two spots are going to be. Uh, even if you just go through the 10 NBA guys, and again, like the positional stuff, they'll have to make some decisions. But even if you did say 10 NBA guys, I think we both agree Chris Golding for, again, that the specialized role should be there. If you want to back up five, it's uh, Dewatt Breeze perhaps. But then Nick Kay, we mentioned, that's already 13. You've got too many. So I, yeah. you know Gorge. Uh I love talking to him because you know you ask him one question and this man goes for forty five minutes. Do you think that? Do you think that he is losing sleep right now in Cairns, or you think he's living and breathing it? Oh, he'd be living and breathing it without a question. <laughs> With, and you know, it's a dark cloud hanging over there. What decision did they make? And um, I just hope they have a great camp. I know they're gonna. You know, with, with Brian's team, they're always a great defensive team. They're always playing for each other and making that extra pass and. Um, I think it's an exciting team. Uh, it's just what what tools in the toolbox that he wants from the bench really to to come out there. And it's um, going to be interesting to see how it shakes out. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. And, of course, we uh, mentioned this off the top, but we'll be pre-game, we'll be during the game, you'll be on the call during all the Boomers games, and we'll have a post-game show as well on ESPN. So it's going to be 
uh, a lot of fun. I can't wait uh, for this tournament to start and uh, work alongside you, Trev. And I wanted to get this podcast out while the training camp's still going because then we don't, you know, we just leave it all out there, all the talking points and let everyone else decide uh, where they sit. But uh, thank you for the time and uh, I'll be seeing you very soon. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks, Kane. Cheers, mate.